Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. The website can be found at www.scriptureandprophecy.com. Today we are looking at Luke 21. We're resuming our study in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this is going to be probably a very controversial podcast for many of you. Um, you know, uh, well, I'll just be just come out with it real up front here. This is dealing with the Olivet Disclosure. And there's been a lot of prophecy teachers over the years who have kind of twisted some of these ideas uh, to really make it fit their end-time doctrine. Um, as opposed to just keeping it all in context. So I'm just going to be up front and say I believe that most of what's being spoken here about is dealing specifically with the judgment on Jerusalem that was shortly to come after the time of Jesus, which did come when the Romans came in and slaughtered you know, the Jewish people in the streets, and there was blood running in the streets, and then they tore down the temple and burned down the temple, and there wasn't a stone left upon it. It was this great judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem and those who had rejected Christ. What a lot of end-time prophecy teachers do is they take all of this and they make it about the future. Now, that is not to say that some of this doesn't deal with the future and that some of these signs that Jesus describes will not be present in the very end right before his second coming. After all, the Word of God is a living and breathing document. And as you guys have heard me discuss many times, there's very there's several examples in the scriptures where there's multiple fulfillments. One of them that I like to bring up is uh, in the Old Testament, God is speaking specifically about Israel, and he says, um, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, then when we move to the New Testament, and the birth of Christ happens, and they flee to Egypt uh, to uh, hide from King Herod, uh, or the, the king that was trying to, to kill the, the Christ child. And then after he had passed, Joseph receives a, a, a vision or a dream saying, again, I'm paraphrasing all this, uh, that it's safe to come back. And so they leave Egypt and the gospel writer says, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy which said, out of Egypt I have called my son. Right? We have two fulfillments, same thing. Same example with a lot of this. A lot of this probably will be present right before the return of Christ. However, Jesus is specifically talking to his disciples and warning them about what is shortly to come to pass. And this is going to be a very, very controversial viewpoint for many of you who are listening uh, because there's just been a lot of, you know, end time doctrines in the last 30 to 50 years and that are very contrary to what Christians had believed for 2,000 years almost. When you, Especially when you go read commentary from great commentators and preachers and church fathers over the years, uh, going back and back hundreds of years. I used to have a disclosure, and I can't remember, I need to go find the audio file, but I used to have a disclosure for this podcast that would say, right before the podcast would start, and if I can find it, I'll throw it in here. That would just say, warning, uh, this podcast may prove to be damaging uh, to the viewpoints and predepositions of, of most people. 
and uh, this is one. Def- this is definitely one of those episodes. So let's dig in. We're going to read chapter twenty-one. This is where the disciples come to Christ and say, "Tell us what will be the signs of these things." Okay. And the first thing we're going to ask ourselves is what signs and to leading to what thing specifically are they asking? So let's uh, let's have a look. It starts with the story, though. You know that we have the first four verses start with the story of this the widow mite, and it's about a woman who put two pennies in the offering, and Jesus says she is given more than anyone because she is given. All that she has out of her poverty, where everyone else is giving out of their abundance. You see, it's it's one thing to give to the kingdom of God, and it be all you have. And it's another thing to give tons of money to the kingdom of God, but it doesn't really impact you. It doesn't really cost you anything because you have such a great abundance. You see, God is not a man, and so the way he measures things is differently. So that's what starts our study this morning. And then we'll get into the more controversial stuff. So, King James Bible, Luke chapter 21. Let's begin. And he looked up. And he saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her punery hath cast in all the living that she had. Now we move into the Olivet Disclosure, verse 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which you behold, the days will come, in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. All right, let's stop. What are we specifically talking about? What's happening is they're in the temple. Jesus is talking about the widow who's giving more than the rest because she's giving out of her poverty. And then there's some sitting around him and they're talking about just how amazing the temple is, right? How it's how beautiful it is and how it's adorned, adorned with these amazing stones. And he says, now listen, all these, this, what you're beholding, what you're looking at, the days are coming when all of this is going to be thrown down. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. And then we get to verse 7. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? Now, what things are they specifically speaking about? In the context of what's being said here, they're speci- Jesus is saying this temple is going to be torn down. There's not going to be a stone left upon another. The day's coming, and they say, when's that going to happen? They're specifically talking about the issue that Jesus has brought up. Verse 7, And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Okay? Specifically talking about this. Now again, that's not to say that none of these will not be future signs as well. You know, we can go through the accounts in Matthew and we can kind of get there, right? But the main context is talking specifically about the temple and its destruction. Let's continue. Verse 8. And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. The time draweth near. 
Go you not therefore after them. Jesus is saying the time has come. He's telling us, he's looking at his disciples and he's specifically telling them, this is happening soon. Right? The time is drawing near. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet by and by. And then they said unto him, and then he said unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilence, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you, and persecute you, delivering you up into the synagogues, and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And of course we know, uh, by reading the book of Acts, this happened to the disciples, right? You had Peter and, I believe, John, uh, who were beaten for preaching in uh, the gospel, right? You had uh, you had the first martyr um, and that the Apostle Paul was involved in, uh, uh, Stephen being stoned. You know, these things were these things definitely took place. Verse thirteen, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed, both by parents and brethren and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish, and your patience possesses ye your souls." And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Okay, he's specifically talking about the desolation of Jerusalem. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. So he's saying, those of you who are in Judah, when you see this happen, Judea, flee to the mountains, like, get out of here. For these be the days of vengeance, that all these, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in these days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled." which is exactly what happened. The Romans came in, they trotted it down, there was great mass destruction of the people, the Jewish people were scattered all around the world, right? We all know the story, the temple was torn down, the Romans tore down everything, they took the gold, they, they, there wasn't a stone left upon another. Verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the power of heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake unto them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise, so likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, 
know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with suffering, with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night when he went out he abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all these people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Okay, now, there is some of this that seems to kind of switch directions and be speaking about the future, right? This is where I come in and I say, the, the scriptures are living. The word of God is living. Don't be surprised that if in, in these very last days you see wars and rumors of wars and great earthquakes and pestilence and all these things, right? That Jesus warned about that would come before the destruction of Jerusalem. Absolutely, I believe that that's the case. The point that I'm trying to make here is sometimes they twist the scriptures. For example, Jesus is specifically talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming and the destruction of the temple, but that's not to say that this doesn't foreshadow the end. Okay? But when he says, this generation, he's looking at the disciples, he's pointing to them, he's saying, this generation, you guys, will not pass away before this happens. Okay. What I see a lot of prophecy teachers do is they say, the generation that sees these signs, they won't pass away. And maybe that's going to be true. I don't know. It's just the context is that's not what it's saying. But it could be possible. So I know this doesn't answer a lot of questions. And if, in many cases, it may raise more questions. Um. But this is how I kind of, how I make sense of it. Yes, this is specifically talking about that time period, that generation, but I believe the final generation will also see these similar things take place, right? Multiple fulfillments. The word of God is living and prophetic. That's why we go to the Old Testament, we read the prophets, and they're talking specifically about the people that they're talking to, yet we know, based on the things that happened with the coming of the first coming of Messiah, that they were also prophesying about a very distant future. Same thing here with Jesus. He's talking to them about a near prophecy that he says, he even says this time is nigh, like it's close, it's going to happen soon. But he's also talking about, I believe, the final generation. Now, when it talks about the Lord coming in his glory, and there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them for fear for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the power of heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now that that kind of speak is used in the Bible many, many times. In fact, it's used in the Old Testament when God judges. It talks about how he came on a cloud. It was symbolic for 
his wrath coming. They didn't literally see God like standing, surfing on a cloud, right? This is not to say that this doesn't mean that we will see Jesus coming on the clouds, right? Because we kind of have that futuristic symbolism throughout the scriptures as well, that we will actually see him coming and there'll be a great shout and all those things. It's just that it also can be symbolic for the judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem at that time. Okay. I think that that kind of just wraps up my viewpoint. Can I read a little bit of commentary from Matthew Henry on just those last few verses, uh, verses 29 through 38, dealing with like the parable of the fig tree and, and being prepared because this is def- this definitely applies to both generations, the generation in 70 AD, the generation that we live in now, this warning that, Hey, don't get like, uh, he says in verse 34, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with the surfeiting and the drunkenness and the cares of this life. He's warning, hey, don't get distracted by the world or the end will come upon you and you won't be aware, right? We, man, we see that with all the parables, right? Jesus warning, we had the parables of the ten virgins, you know, five were ready. Five were prepared. They had to, they had thought ahead and took extra oil. Five didn't. And then the time came. They weren't prepared. They didn't get to enter into the kingdom. They were caught up in... Do you see the danger here? Let me read the commentary for Matthew Henry about this. Christ tells his disciples to observe the signs of the times, which they might judge by. He charges them to look upon the ruin of the Jewish nation as near. Yet this race and family of Abraham shall not be rooted out. It shall survive as a nation and be found as prophesied when the Son of Man shall be revealed. He cautions them against being secure and sensual. This command is given to all Christ's disciples. Take heed to yourselves that you be not overpowered by temptations, nor betrayed by your own corruptions. We cannot be safe if we are carnally secure. Our danger is, lest the day of death and judgment should come upon us when we are not prepared. Lest when we are called to meet the Lord, that be the furthest from our thoughts, which ought to be nearest our hearts. For it will come upon most men who dwell on the earth, and mind earthly things only, and have no converse with heaven. It will be a terror and a destruction to them. Here, see what should be our aim, that we may be accounted worthy to escape all those things, that when the judgments of God are abroad, we may not be in common calamity, or it may not be that to us which it is to others. Do ask how you may be found worthy to stand before Christ in that day. Those who never yet sought Christ, let them now go unto him, Those who never yet were humbled for their sins, let them now begin. Those who have already begun, let them go forward to be kept humble. Watch therefore and pray always. Watch against sin. Watch in every duty. And make the most of every opportunity to do good. Pray always. Those shall be accounted worthy to live a life of praise in the other world. Who live a life of prayer in this world. May we begin employ and conclude each day attending to Christ's words, obeying his precepts and following his example that whenever he comes, we may be found watching.
That is just a great commentary. And if there's anything to take away today, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Pray always to be counted worthy, to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Let's read verse 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always. So there's two things that you're supposed to do all the time. Watch and pray. Specifically, that ye may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's a prayer that I have prayed every day for years since I've since I knew that that scripture existed, I've prayed it. Many, many, many years I pray it every single morning. God, please count me worthy. Please count me worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. This isn't escapism. This is obedience. Jesus told us to specifically pray this, right? And I believe that people who are actually watching, actually paying attention, actually looking with expectation for the final culmination and return of Jesus and the final culmination of the kingdom of God. These people are watching and praying every day, right? Many of you, that's what you're doing. I hope that you're not offended by my viewpoint of this scripture. Again, I need to feel like I have to say this five or six times or people, because people just hear one thing, then they get mad and they go to the comments and they don't hear the rest of what I'm saying. I have two viewpoints of this scripture. The first is that the main purpose was to speak about the coming judgment of Jerusalem. Secondly, I believe there's prophetic things here that point to the end of time, right? It's both. But not all of it may apply. I hope that that makes sense. I really, really do. I pray that you've been blessed this morning. This is the time to be looking up. This, take this warning from Jesus and this commentary from Matthew Henry very, very seriously. Can I just read those last three, ver those three verses one more time to end the show? Because I just really wanted to settle in. Verse 34 through 36. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that you, and so that day come upon you unawares. Did you hear that? Don't be distracted. This isn't to say you don't live your life, but don't be so distracted by the cares of this world that it takes your focus off God to the point where you don't recognize the time you're living in. 30, verse 35, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. You see, now we're not just specifically talking about Jerusalem. Jesus says this is going, this is about the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. That's all I have for you this morning. I pray you've been blessed in the powerful name of Jesus. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.